Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 300 speaker files, links for you to describe to the podcast, and a place where you can donate to keep the special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Rob. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, uh, my name is Rob. I am a compulsive overeater. And I really uh, am honored to have this opportunity to be of service in this way. Uh, I have listened to these podcasts online for many, for a few years now, and they are an incredible resource for me and I know for, for many other people. So to be able to give back this way is really wonderful. So I have been in this program for almost five years, uh, started in 2007, and when I started OA, um, I weighed in the 260s, and today I'm maintaining a a weight loss of about 90 pounds, Um, and I... um, I'm, I'm, as many pe- as I've heard many people say at the beginning, I'm pretty nervous. My heart is pounding. But I say a prayer and I turn that over to my higher power, and that's how the program works. Thank you. I'll take questions now. <laughs> say a little more. <laughs> That'll loosen up a little bit. And as I, I am circulating some photos for the folks in the room. We're not going to post those online, I hope. But you'll see what it used to be like and see how my body has changed back and forth over over the years. Uh, So, I have been a compulsive overeater, I think, I assume my whole life, as long as I can remember, I have been a big volume binge eater uh, with a tendency to be overweight and be obese and became more and more overweight and obese uh, the older I got, but I remember being, I don't know, kindergarten, maybe even preschool age and sneaking down to the kitchen at night. As long as, when I was old enough to hoist myself up to the kitchen cabinets to go in and steal the cookies that were there, that's probably when my behavior started, and that was pretty young. And uh, it only went downhill from there. Um, you know, food, I was always awkward socially. I always felt like I didn't belong. Um, not only was I, you know, I, I became... Be- began to be more and more ashamed of my body and the way I looked, but, but it certainly went deeper than that. I just felt like I, I wasn't as good as other people. And food was a solace, you know. Um, so I, I started dieting at a young age. I was overweight at a young age, so I started dieting at a young age. And I was a great dieter. I, all the diets I did, I did very successfully. I lost a lot of weight. Several, many times, because as soon as the diet ended, I would regain the weight. And, of course, as time went on and I dieted over and over, I became more and more overweight after each diet, after I would relapse after each diet. Uh, Rather than spend a lot of time on all those different experiences, I think, as an illustration... I'll just talk about the last time I did serious dieting before I found this program. And I did. That was the most extreme one I've ever done. I I did a fast. It was one of these kind of protein shake fasts, medically supervised fasts. And And just to show that I'm a good dieter, I did it perfectly. 
You know, I went, I think it was 20 weeks without eating and just drinking these shakes five times a day. And I did it perfectly, and I, I lost over 100 pounds. And for the first time in a number of years, I was a, a healthy body weight. And when I got to that body weight, uh, I found that there were all kinds of rewards, you know. Like, I, a lot of the medical conditions that had developed were basically all gone, that had developed secondary to being obese. Um, I could go to a clothing store and buy anything I wanted right off the rack, and it fit. That was really nice. I could do all kinds of physical activity that I couldn't do when I was uh, obese. And a, a lot of uh, members of the opposite sex who would never give me the time of day when I was very, very large... Not only were they now receptive to me, they were actually initiating contact and interest. So these were really, really rewarding things. These are all things I wanted. And, but, but, you know, the question is, was I really happy with those things? Yes, I was. They were really good things. That's why, that's, that, just, that just illustrates the insanity of this. I had health. I had social acceptance. I had the beginnings of self-esteem, and yet in no time flat, I was back on a course to regaining all the weight I had lost. Does that sound rational? Does that sound logical? Does that sound sane? It doesn't to me. And if you ascribe or subscribe to the, the practical, the operational definition of insanity, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result, if, if my conversation so far hasn't proven to you that I'm insane around food, what did I do after I regained all the weight? I went back on the fast and did it again, because what else would you do, right? It worked before, and I lost all the weight a second time, and I gained most of it back, almost all of it back. I did not go for strike three, thankfully. I turned to a different source for a solution, uh, and that was OA. So, let me tell you how I got into OA. The first time I walk, walked into an OA meeting in 2007 was actually the third time I walked into an OA meeting for the first time. Because about 20 years before that, uh, I was home from college, I think, for the summer. And my dad said, hey, let's you and I go to a meeting. My father was also a compulsive overeater, and he died um, from consequences of this disease, uh, I believe, heart disease. And uh, so I said, okay, I had no idea what he had planned. And we ended up at a OA meeting. This was back in New York. We went to this OA meeting, and uh, a woman, uh, middle-aged woman, uh, who was normal size, uh, pitched a, about how she had lost, you know, 200-plus pounds, and that was amazing. So we were both impressed by that. The only problem you all had at that time was there was all this talk about God. And we, didn't, we weren't there for God. We were there to lose weight. So I think by the end of the night, we both realized, well, this is very nice, but this isn't for us. And I don't think he ever went back, and I didn't go back, until about ten years later, when, again, I was at a real nadir, um, psychologically, feeling really desperate, I probably was at an acme weight-wise. Um, it's funny how those things are always, just, you know, opposite. Um, and I, I remember, yeah, I remember this OA thing. 
let me go to OA. At this point, I was in California already. So I found a local OA meeting, and I went to OA. So this was 10 years after the first time I went for the first time. So 10 years later was the second time I went for the first time. And I walked in, and everyone was really nice, and it looked, you know, the problem was you were still talking about God all the time. It's like you hadn't figured it out yet. You weren't ready for me yet. So I left again. And then another ten years went by, and now by this time I was now living in L.A. for a few months. Um, I like to pull geographic cures as well, you know. A lot, when things didn't go well in one place, I figured if I just moved to another place, everything would be fine because I'd be leaving the problems behind, not realizing that I was the problem or the problems were within me. So uh, about five years ago, I went to OA for the first time, for the third time, and I'm pleased to say that uh, it's the last time I came in for the first time because I've never left. Uh, and it hasn't been a smooth ride for five years. Uh, there's, been, uh, there's been ups and downs, and I mean that in many ways. You know, I had a long period of abstinence, I had a fairly long relapse in those five years, and then uh, now I have about uh, almost 18 months of um, continuous abstinence in recovery, but I never left in those five, I might talk a little more about relapse at some point, but um, I never left in those five years, so, you know, I've been working a program to some degree or another, um, I've been a member of the fellowship, even if I wasn't working the steps very well uh, for a period of time. Um, and that's, you know, that's made the difference, and I think that's the reason uh, my relapse wasn't wor- a lot worse than it could have been, actually. Um, I gained a lot of weight back that I had lost in program. I didn't gain it all back, and now, but now because of that relapse, uh, when, I, when I reached whatever bottom I needed to reach, uh, I recommitted to working the steps and to surrendering my will and my life in a way... I had never even conceived of the first time I was doing it. I thought I had done it, but I hadn't really done it. Uh, maybe I, I don't. I don't know if I would say I was faking it for two years. I was, you know, there was. Ma- I was making progress, but now uh, I've made a lot more progress in the last 18 months. And you know, physically, I've recovered to an even greater extent than I had during the first two years. And uh, for anyone uh, who knows me well, they certainly would probably tell you emotionally and and spiritually as well, and I I feel that way. So what did I, I'll tell you what I discovered about myself when I came to OA and I started working the program, this program, 12 Steps of Recovery. Um, I found out that I wasn't a bad person, I wasn't morally inferior than anyone else, I wasn't weak, I wasn't weak-willed, I have an illness. I have a disease. It's a disease of addiction. My addiction involves food and eating behaviors. Um, that, that's, that was very important for me to realize, and it took me a long, long time to accept that. It took me a long time to accept that. Um, but it, since I've accepted that, I find the disease model, or the medical model, or however you want to talk about the, the disease model of compulsive overeating, to be an incredibly powerful concept that, that gives me so much freedom and relief from my shame and relief from my embarrassment. Um, so what I learned, and I, I basically learned this from the big book of AA, so it's outlined very concisely in the doctor's opinion. You know, substitute food for alcohol and you pretty much got it. At least it works for me. 
I have, number one, I have an allergy to food or certain foods. Um, strange things happen to me when I put certain foods in my body. For me, you know, pizza, ice cream, and lots of other stuff. Um, but uh, um, what happens, well, well you know, you, you all know about food allergies, right? I mean, there are kind of medically documented um, food allergies that people have. You know, people have peanut allergies, for example. And if they eat peanuts in almost any quantity, uh, any exposure, they can have an immediate and, and possibly deadly reaction. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a real allergy. And in a similar fashion, I have an allergy, except I don't get hives and, you know, swelling and my throat doesn't close up. What happens is when I eat pizza or ice cream or certain other things, I can't stop eating them. That's it. That's, that's the allergy. That's the reaction. I can't, it's a strange one. I can't tell you why I have it, but I don't know that the person with the peanut allergy can tell you why they're allergic to peanuts. They just are. Um, I'm allergic to those things, and that's the reaction I have. The difference, the difference between my disease and the peanut person, because the allergy is the allergy. They have allergy to their substance. I have allergy to my substance. The difference is... If someone finds out they're allergic to peanuts and they want to stay alive and they don't want to end up in the emergency room every weekend, they don't go to come to OA. They don't go to Peanuts Anonymous. They just put down the peanuts. They don't eat peanuts. No more problem. End of story. They still have the disease. They'll always be allergic to peanuts, but they don't have any problem whatsoever. So why don't I just put down the things that cause me to have an allergy? That's the difference. My disease is also in my head. I have a brain problem, a thinking problem, a thought disorder. Uh, we call it insanity for short. <laughs> and after describing to you what I've done over and over and over, I think insanity is accurate. I cannot remember in certain points of time what happens when I put these things in my body or I just don't care. I need it so badly. I want it so badly that the consequence just doesn't matter anymore. If it, I don't even remember there is a consequence. Or I just thought, this will be good. This is what I need. This will help me. So that's really the disorder. Because if I, if I could cure the insanity, then I'd be like the peanut guy. I'd just put down the pizza and the ice cream. And I wouldn't need to come to OA. I'd just put down the pizza. I can't do it. Because my brain doesn't work. I'm insane around those things. So the problem is not curing the allergy. The problem is how do you cure the insanity? Or how do you manage the insanity? Since we don't really talk about cure here. I don't think I'm curable, but I, I'm manageable. Uh, and that is what the spiritual solution is for, for me. Um, and I found that if I couldn't solve this problem myself, I would have to find some other resource to solve this problem. And that is what a higher power is for, for me. And I, I refer to my higher power as God. But you can call your higher power whatever you wish. And the one thing, above all, that my higher power does for me, that I can't do myself, is my higher power cures my brain. One day, when I say cure, I mean temporary, manages, fixes, one day at a time. Uh, because the insanity will come back very quickly. I proved that myself, you know, a couple years back. Um, so, I can't make myself sane, but my higher power can. 
And if I, f- I found that if I work on connecting with my higher power and, and tapping into that power that he provides, I can then have sanity around food. Once that happens, I'm the peanut guy. All I have to do is make a choice. He restores to me the power of choice, so today I can choose not to overeat. I can choose to overeat if I want to. You know, I can choose to pick up the pizza again. But again, would that be a sane choice? I mean, I know, again, it's, uh, um, it's kind of an operational definition, but I would say if I'm choosing to pick up that food again, I've lost that power. <laughs> I'm probably insane again. At least every day that I've worked this program to the best of my ability for the last 18 months, I have been granted at least a thread of sanity enough that I can choose not to pick up that food. And the interesting thing to me is that this program and my higher power um, give me freedom that I haven't had. The more I give up control of my life, here's the, you know, I think they call this a catch-22 or irony or whatever, but the more, that, the more I give up control, the more freedom I have. Because when I was in control of my life, when I controlled everything, I was basically a slave. I was a slave to the food. Um, I was controlled by the food. It was my higher power, and it was not a beneficent higher power. It was a very, very destructive higher power. When I gave up control to another power, to God, um, I was freed from my insanity. I can make choices now to do what I want with my life, and that feels like freedom to me. So, as I say, it's rather ironic, but the less I control my life, the more freedom I have to control my life. That's amazing. So, um, let me a couple of other things I want to touch on. Relapse, I want to talk a little more about what relapse means to me, because I mentioned I had about a year-long relapse, more or less right in the middle of those five years. And it was miserable. I was hating it. I gained a lot of the weight back. I was irritable, restless, discontented all the time. I wanted to die at times. It was not a fun time. I do not recommend relapse to anyone. If you're not currently in relapse, I do not recommend it. But let me tell you this. In this, in this program, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Because I was, as I said, I, I was working a program before that, but my recovery was not the same then as it is now, um, you know, with take two. I was, I was faking it a bit. And I needed to go out and do some more research. And if I didn't know that, my higher power who takes care of me knew that. And that's what I did. I went out and I did a year of research until I really, really, really got convinced that I'm not going to fix it myself. Um, It's not going to go away by itself. That there's no other place to go other than this. I never left the program or I should say, I never left the fellowship, I never left the rooms, but I wasn't working the program. To me, the program is the 12 steps, and the fellowship is the meetings, and all of you beautiful people. Um, I, so so that, that relapse allowed me to recommit 
and to work the steps to look for the spiritual solution with a fervor that I had never had prior. And therefore, as, as miserable as it was and as painful as it was and as shameful as it was, um, I was blessed to have that time. The reason I say that is because so many of us do slip and slide and struggle and relapse. And we don't feel good about it. We don't feel good about ourselves when that happens. And I just want to stress that in my experience, and, and now in my, in my perspective on this, that relapse is not a necessary part of recovery by any means, but it is a perfectly normal part of recovery and part of the process for certain people, as it was for me. So if you are struggling in any way, whether it's full-blown relapse or, or what have you, um, just don't leave. You still belong here, you know? You're still loved. You're still, if you're coming here, you're doing something for yourself. Um, and the relapse won't be as bad as it would be if you left. And secondly, you can be of enormous service if you are struggling and you share about your struggle. Because if you share about the research you're doing and remind people of what it was like right now for you, um, they may not have to do their own research later on. Right? That's why we print, we publish medical literature so everyone doesn't have to do the same experiment. You read what the other scientists did. You said, okay, I got it now. I don't have to do it. I think that's very helpful. Um, I also wanted to talk a little more uh, about, about my perspective on spirituality uh, or on God because uh, lots of us struggle with that as I did as well uh, um, earlier on. I am... Uh, I grew up as a declared atheist. Uh, we didn't have a very religious family. We had a religion, but we were not, you know, church-going folk or temple-going folk. Um, and I just thought, you know, I was, I, I was kind of a science-oriented person, and the whole idea of, you know, a magic being in the sky didn't make sense to me. And I just, uh, I just uh, rejected that for my entire, my entire childhood, adolescence, early adulthood. So as you can imagine, coming to OA and basically being told I would need to come to believe in a higher power that would restore me to sanity and then decide to turn my life and will over to a higher power, that was not a simple concept. That's why I had to come three times the first time, right? Um, but, but here's what I found out. Again, this is just me talking. Here's what, I, for, for other folks who struggle with this, and I know mo- many do, um, you don't... You don't have to do it perfectly. Uh, you don't have to come up with the, uh, with the perfect concept of a higher power. And you don't have to believe 100% with all your heart in order to start the process and in order to start trudging that road to recovery. All you need is just the smallest glimmer of hope and faith. And for me, it, it was logic. Again, I'm a logical guy, right? I'm a scientific guy, so... Once I accepted step one, which I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable, it took me a while to accept that. But once I accepted that, step two is really the only, I mean, there's only two possibilities. Either you're doomed forever or you got to find a way, you got to find another power, right? I'm powerless. Either there's another power or let's just give up. Some people give up, unfortunately. I know that's possible. But 
But if you have even the slightest hope for a better life, then step two seems like the next logical conclusion. And, you know, once, you've, once, you, once you are willing to try and implement step two in your life, then, you know, you might as well just give the rest a try, too. I mean, that's really, that's really how I approached it, you know, um, kind of being willing to act as if. I wasn't sure. I wasn't 100% convinced, but I was willing to act as if. And this is what I have found. It's interesting. When I was younger, and I would say there is no God, and all that, um, I was always, always obsessed with knowing the truth. So it's like I always had a little doubt, right? Maybe a little agnosticism there. Um, it's interesting that the big book, it's called We Agnostics, not We Atheists or We Atheists and Agnostics. Because kind of almost everyone, I think, maybe in some sense, at least in the tiniest bit, may be agnostic, you know, if not rather than atheist. Because there was something in my mind I just wanted to know. I had to know. And it's not something you can know. It's something you believe in and have faith in. But when I swore there wasn't such a thing, I had to know. Now that I'm willing to believe in a higher power and I'm willing to turn my will and my life over to a higher power, the interesting thing is... I no longer care whether there is one or not. It just doesn't matter to me. Because some days, some days I don't believe that strongly. Some days I'm absolutely, you know, vehemently sure. And some days I'm doubtful. But the fact is, it just doesn't matter to me. Because here's what I found out. I practice the steps. I practice uh, spiritual recovery. And I find out that if I'm at least willing to act as if there is a higher power, if I'm willing to practice the steps to the best of my ability, everything in my life gets better. My food gets better. My work gets better. My relationships get better. My finances get better. And you put in your noun. I don't care. It all gets better. And that's without me really knowing what's out there or if there is anything out there. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to keep doing it because it works. And I tend to presume at this point in time that there is a higher power watching over me. I'll just quote the, uh, another fellow in recovery. This is such a cool quote that I just want to quote someone else. Um, uh, another fellow in recovery who's become a good friend um, spoke at an event. And one of the things he said was, um, he said, if there is, and he had about not, has about nine years of, of, of now, ten years of abstinence and, you know, multiple hundred pounders. So he said, uh, if, there is, if there is no God, if there's really nothing out there, then nothing has been doing a better job running my life than I have for the last nine years. You know, if that's good enough for him, then it's good enough for me. <laughs> that works for me. Um, I think the last thing I'll talk about is how is how recovery, um, what it looks like now, uh, using a very recent example of how this program and the 12 steps in my recovery has allowed me to do things I could never even conceive of doing before. One week ago, I, this time, I was in Massachusetts, or New England, Massachusetts is New England. I just didn't know how specific to be. But I was in New England. I was at my 25th college reunion. I have never gone to a college reunion before. 
why would I? I never felt like I was part of the class. I never felt like anyone liked me. I never felt like I belonged there. I never stayed in touch with anyone. From I loved my college. My four years of college were the greatest time of my life, and I have a few close friends from college. I stayed in touch with a handful of folks. But generally, I disconnected because I'm a compulsive overreader. I'm an addict. I want to isolate all the time anyway. So I didn't stay in touch with anyone. Um, 25th uh, reunion came up, and I decided I was going to go. And the only reason I could even conceive of making a, a choice, the only reason I could even consider the option is because of my recovery. Because I've, I've learned some humility in the last few years. I've learned that it isn't all about me. And I've learned that everyone's glance, everyone's blink, everyone's expression, everyone's whispering isn't all about me. When they are whispering about me, they could even be saying something nice. Imagine that. Um, and I decided this was important. This is a 25th reunion, and uh, I love my college, and I am close with some of the people there, a few. So I went back. It was hard. It was really hard. Um, it was fun. I'm glad I went. Uh, let me start with it. It was a positive experience. I enjoyed getting reacquainted with people. I will go back in another five years, you know, barring any unforeseen circumstances. It was hard, though, because I, I, am, I am recovering, you know. I'm, I'm not all the way there, and, and uh, it still is tough for me to, to socialize, to face my past, to socialize in that way. I had to pull back some time, you know. I would spend several hours with these folks, and then I, I had to do some stuff for myself. I had to do some self-care. Um, you know, one afternoon I went on a hike all by myself in the mountains around the campus, which is a, not surprisingly, is an activity I love to do when I was there because it's a, it's a solo activity, but, but it, it is, you know, just the majestic view. It's just one of the most beautiful parts of the country there. Um, so I really enjoyed that, but I had to do some stuff for myself just so I could survive. And of course I called my sponsor and I made outreach calls and I kept working my program and I had my daily readers and I did my prayer and meditation. I, I didn't leave program in LA. Um, I, I also, and I've, I've, I've done a four step, I've worked all 12 steps. I, I uncovered resentments I, I forgot I had. I didn't realize I had. Um, you know, every person I would see who I kind of had forgotten they existed, I remembered why I didn't like them, which, be, which because they didn't like me, because one day they looked at somebody like this, you know, and that's, not, I've, I've had that for 25 years, right? Not always in my consciousness, but if I remember it, then it's there. Um, you know, the fact being that this person probably doesn't even know about the incident, and if they did, they forgot about it, you know, 30 seconds after it happened. So there was a lot of resentments, but the biggest resentment that came up that I hadn't considered around my college years was the resentment against myself, the time that I lost. You know, I did, it was a wonderful experience overall, but um, while my healthy classmates were, were not only excelling academically, but were also spending time forming lifelong, meaningful, intimate relationships with other people, I was, you know, strengthening my relationship with uh, with pizza, you know, and um, I 
I, I regret that, you know. I, regret, I know we're not supposed to regret the past, but the truth is it's there. Uh, I regret that, and I can't get that time back. Um, but I did start to form those relationships to a small extent this last weekend. So you see, it's, it's never too late. Um, that's perfect. That was the last thing. Ten minutes, okay. Um, actually, I, I don't have... I had a little list of topics I wanted to make sure I talked about, and that was the last one, so this is kind of perfect. I'll, I'll leave the last ten minutes open for any questions that people have. So thank you for listening. Well, yeah, a lot of people... You know, uh, I definitely was asked that a lot in terms of what were the events going on in my life. At thi- to be 100% honest, at this point, I don't remember the exact life events because they're all, they're all huge, right? To me, anything, you know... Someone, someone stepped on my foot. No, that's, that wasn't. But it might have been bigger than that. But it doesn't take much, right, to, to, to send us, uh, to block us from a higher power. Here's the real reason I relapsed. It didn't have to do with any specific event. There may have been a series of events that I can blame, that I'd like to blame. But here's what happened. This is why I relapsed. I got complacent. I got indifferent. Uh, I felt like I was cured. I had stopped working the 12 steps. I was in the midst. I, I spent most of that year working on my fourth step and never finishing it. And I guess not really wanting to write it or not being ready to write it. And that's, that's the step I was on when I went into relapse. So I think it doesn't matter what was going on in my life. The fact of the matter is I stopped working the program. I stopped taking the medicine. I stopped taking the medicine. Um, you know, if, if you're diabetic or have diabetic friends, ask them what would happen if they stopped taking their insulin every day. Or, or ask them from the hospital bed after a few days, because that's, that's probably where they'd end up. It's just, you know, the 12 steps, the spiritual solution is the medicine, and I had to do it every day. Now, luckily, I've been doing it every day, and, that, and that's why I relapsed. I stopped taking my medicine. I have to surrender every day. It's a new. It's it's one day at a time, right? The books. The, the book says um, our you know our, our our recovery is contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition, daily maintenance of our spiritual condition. Uh, you know, I have a, a prayer and meditation um, regimen, as many people do, that I, I try to do every morning. I get to it, you know, at least nine out of ten days, uh, and if I don't get to it, the day is not right. Trust me. Um, but one of the things, and I, I, say, I, I recite a number of the prayers that are in the big book, and one thing I recite is the first three steps. That's me doing the first three steps every day, reciting those and remembering them and committing to them. Um, here's, here's what I learned about what surrendering means, and, and if, you, if you're talking about step three, turning your will and your life over. Um, remember, the, the step three doesn't say turn our will and life over. It says made a decision to turn our will and our life over to the higher. So all you have to do to take step three is be willing to make a decision. So how do you do it then? So if step three is just a decision, then how do you turn your will and your life over to the higher power? And I found the answer to that in the AA 12 and 12. Basically, I cannot give you the page, um, but the way you do it is you do the rest of the steps. That's how you do it. Um, So, you know, you get to a spiritual awakening. You connect with your higher power by doing the steps. 
And step, all step three is, to me, is a commitment to live by the principles of the rest of the steps every day. To the best of your ability, you can't do them perfectly. So every day I make that commitment. And that, that's what surrender means to me. It doesn't mean I can't make decisions. It doesn't mean I can't make choices. It basically means I'm going to work the 12 steps and therefore stay connected to my higher power and therefore be sane today and therefore be able to make a choice not to overeat. That, that's how it works for me. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I did repeat the last one. See, I was like, this, uh, this question is about the ninth step and what kind of amends have I made. That's a great example of not, you know, not doing it perfectly. I, I haven't finished all my ninth step amends. I've done a number of them, but I still have some on my list that I have to, to make. I, the cool thing is I haven't added to them because I do a tenth step every day. And so far... When I'm wrong, I've done, admitted it promptly, but I still have some things from my past I have to make up for. Uh, let's see, I can pr- I'll try and be brief. I'll tell you, the co- I, had, I made amends to my mother, which was really a conversation and an apology uh, for being a, a brat. Or, you know, <laughs> it goes deeper than that, but I made an amends to my uh, mother that was very powerful. I need to make an amends to my father, but my sponsor and I decided it would have to be a gravesite. Uh, thing, so I'm going to have to one day travel to where he's interred. Um, I made an amends to someone when I was in college. Uh, sorry, when I was in junior high, high school, I was uh, I, I collected comic books, and I had this neighborhood comic book store I would go to, and I, it's, it's theft. I stole a lot of merchandise by basically going in and switching these plastic bags and putting a lower price on a higher price thing, and they never caught me and. You know, I probably, over years, I probably stole hundreds of dollars worth of value in that sense. And I I decided I had to make an amends for this. And what I went through, (laughs) this is in New York, a store that had closed years ago. I had to contact the the county seat in Riverside to look up the business licenses for these places to see if I could find out who the owner was, which I found. I then found that the owner, uh, I then found the owner... You know, thank God for the Internet. Otherwise, none of this would have happened, probably. I found that the owner now lived in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. (laughs) And I found that the owner was deceased, but his widow lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I called his widow. I made a cold call to to the uh, wife of the owner and told her what I had done and apologized and told her I would like to um, make a direct amends with, and I said, I don't know how much I stole, but, you know, with this much, I think this is more than enough. Would that cover it? And she said, that's really not necessary. I, I understand, you know, a lot of people, a lot of kids did that. And, you know, I think it's very nice for you to call. But you know what you could do? Um, the, uh, the, Har- the Harry Chapin food hunger thing is a great charity. And why don't you make a, why don't you make a donation to that? And I was so grateful that she could tell me where to you know, invest my, my amends. So I wrote a check and I sent it off uh, in the name of the gentleman who, deceased gentleman who had, you know, owned the uh, store. And uh, I crossed that one off my list. And that was big. That was big. Okay, my food plan. Certain, uh, certain foods, I do not eat at all. You, uh, you, you could guess a couple of those by now. But there's a bunch of them. Yeah, all recreational sugar, basically, and then a lot of miscellaneous things. Uh, I will tell you, I do not abstain completely from wheat, 
flour, but depend you know it depends how it's presented and stuff. But a bunch of foods I won't eat at all because that's my allergic foods, and we already talked about what happens if I eat those. But otherwise, uh, usually three meals a day. Sometimes I'll eat a snack, but the biggest part of my food plan is I commit everything I eat. I call my sponsor when I do my 10 step each evening. With my, I call him every night, and actually he picks up most nights. Amazing, yeah. Um, I I commit what I'm going to eat the next day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Sometimes I already know I'm going to eat a snack, depending how spread out my meals are. So it's all done. I'm you know I'm, I'm turning it over. Uh, and the only uh, if anything changes during the day, I would call him and tell him I said I was going to eat this, but now I'm going to eat this. And last but not least, if I did eat something that I hadn't committed, the next evening I'm going to call him again. And when I talk to him about my abstinence for that day, I can tell him uh, there was one other thing I didn't tell you about. And being, wi- being willing to be 100% honest, because I can do that, you know. I'm powerless over food. I'm not powerless over being honest. So I can commit to being honest. Uh, being 100% honest with my food every day pretty much, you know, is pretty much all it takes. There's a, you know, uh, it's hard sometimes. I mentioned the reunion. The first night of the reunion, the first get-together was a pizza party. No other food. A pizza party. I don't eat that food. There was a resentment there. Um, I wasn't mad at the organizers. I was resentful of being a compulsive eater, of being unique. This will be my last... uh, um, response. Uh, I was resentful that I, I was different uh, because everyone else could stay there at the you know could all night and do eat their dinner and visit. At a certain point, I had to excuse myself to go get some find something I could eat, and I went off the first night of reunion and ate dinner by myself. And I really felt terminally unique, and I really felt bad about it. But in retrospect, I needed that time to myself anyway, <laughs> and. You know, I was willing to take care of myself. And clearly, that, you know, that's something that came from a higher power, just the strength to do that. So, you know, with the, with the co- willingness to commit and all, uh, I think that's the biggest part of my food plan, actually. So, thank you. Thank you.